and welcome to Season 2, Episode 22 of History's Greatest Idiots, the podcast in which we take you back through all of human history and give you examples of absolutely stunning stupidity. So you can learn lessons from them and never repeat those mistakes again. But who are we kidding? We're humans. We like making mistakes. In fact, it's coming up to election time over in America, and man, those mistakes are, are coming home to roost in certain situations. But uh, yeah. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. I'm not optimistic about anything anymore. (laughs) No, I think we're at a stage in life where we have seen patterns repeat themselves and we're just sort of prepared to take it on the chin and move on with our lives. Uh, Joining me as ever is is my amazing co-host, Derek. Derek, man, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Awesome. That's good to hear. I can't complain at all. (laughs) <laughs> we should. Uh, I should. I should point out that we're recording this now. Um, we're actually recording this on Bonfire Night in the UK, so the fifth of November. Um, we're recording this now because you're going to be heading up um, to different states with your son, right, for college stuff. Hopefully, um, actually, we're going to a tournament next weekend in Las Vegas, Fun. and nice. it's also my daughter's twenty-first birthday. So, twenty-first oh, in Vegas, you're gonna yeah. have to keep an eye on her. You're gonna it's... have to keep an eye on her, right? Yeah, I just. <laughs> I, I'm jealous. I spent my 21st birthday in Fort Benning, Georgia. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's quite a quite a shift between army life in the south of the United States to 21st birthday in uh, the USA. Spoiled. I, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, the, the funny thing is, I've never really wanted to go to Vegas, but like elements of it there really appeal to me. Like the hotels are really quite good if you get the right one, and like the buffets. Like I can I can see myself spending a couple of hours at an all-you-can-eat buffet and stuff, and and a little little like gambling because uh, I've got a method and it works, and I won't lose the house. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but like I, I could enjoy elements of it, but uh, uh, yeah, I d- I think I might be too old for Vegas now. I I am too old for Vegas, and l- luckily we're staying on the Fremont side, nice. so we're in the old okay. Vegas where it's old like me, right? Older than okay, me, of course. Old old uh, mafia run Vegas. That's that's yeah. the part you want to be, <laughs> the part where you're really really safe, but don't yes. try and borrow money from anyone. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so that's going to be happening next week. Uh, as I mentioned, it's bonfire night here over in the UK. So I, I'm going to apologise in advance. I think my microphone's good enough to block out most sounds, but you may hear the occasional loud firework go off in the background. Because uh, history-wise, in this country, because obviously Halloween is a big deal over in the states. You know, you guys like you decorate and you get dressed up and you have specific meals and all of that. And, and we kind of have elements of that here, like we do. There's trick or treat. We have that, you know, slightly to a certain extent. And we have uh, fireworks displays as well, which, you know, quite a common thing. But in terms of like importance in the UK calendar, I would say bonfire night as a kind of a tradition is is higher up because there's more organized stuff around it. So people will go to actual bonfire nights where there are giant piles like a fucking wicker man of just crap <laughs> and and on top of it will be a an effigy of guy Fawkes, which is set on fire yes we're a country oh. that still does that the guy okay. who tried to blow up the houses apartment always one of the people involved in in that plot and you know now we're celebrating it's it's kind of a bit of a hey you can have a holiday but remember this is what we do to people who fuck with the country sort of moment for the <laughs> government so so I feel like, um, yeah, oh, Toaster's always here. I prefer New Vegas. Yeah, there's there's someone who's played too many Bethesda games. 
the game was rigged from the start. Uh, so yeah, um, I, I I think Bonfire Night is a bigger deal here because of the Guy Fawkes thing and the Remember Remember the Fifth of November and the gunfire plot and treason and all that shit. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I ha- have had no interest in going to any of those firework or bonfire displays tonight. So did well, you guys do anything for Halloween? Ah, uh, we turned off all the lights outside so nobody would <laughs> knock on the door. Uh, we we withdrew this time. Nice. Honestly, yeah. Um, and yeah must be quite expensive like as a as a Dude. an event halloween you know buying the costumes getting all the candy making you know, carving pumpkins cooking stuff we got <laughs> my son a costume because they have a uh the baseball team has a a costume wiffle ball game on oh, halloween nice. every year That's it's fun. pretty cool yeah. and he went up as mr peely from fortnite or peely <laughs> it was oh, he's pretty- a fortnite fan awesome yeah cool um yeah like i say we we don't really get that and we we had a similar thing i think there's a kind of an unwritten rule in this country where if someone doesn't have decorations on the outside of their house you can't trick or treat there so you your houses typically don't get egged but um at this time of year in in wolverhampton uh where i'm living at the moment the the big problem we've had around halloween is uh car thieves stealing cars to order so if you have i know I know. So if you have um, a very nice car, the likelihood is it's going to get pinched by someone. So, yeah. You know, that's what? the only big crime I have in because I'm in a decent part of the city. And the only real crime we have is people going, oh, I like that electric car. I'm going to fucking steal it and sell it. So people that's... leave mine and my wife cars alone because ours are kind of middle of the road. <laughs> you know, they're not powerful, they're not expensive. When yeah, when I was really wanting to get rid of my car, I I was hoping people would steal it. I was leaving it running, going into stores, <laughs> watching a movie. Yeah, yeah, just get the blue the blue book value for it. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, this, uh, sorry, just a random thing I just remembered. One of the because people talk about like Kevin Smith and his first film Clerks has got like a certain aura around it about how it got funded, and you know the the big thing is he made Clerks for like fifty grand or something like that. And there have been that's what I heard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the big story, uh, a lot of like various versions of the story where like he sold comic books that he collected to raise some of the money. But actually, um, there was a, a Nor'eastern storm that came by in the early to mid 90s, which like wiped out um, the eastern seaboard. And he lost his piece of shit car that he bought a year earlier for basically peanuts like it was just a runaround that he got for a few hundred dollars but because fema were like we can't we don't have time to value your fucking car here's the blue book value so he got essentially what it would have cost brand new as a a kind of compensation for losing his car to this massive storm and that's what he used to fund clerks for the majority of it nice now here's a question if i see a storm coming and then I haul ass and park my car over there. Is it covered? <laughs> um, I think I think if you live in the state, it's probably covered as part of the disaster relief funds. But I think Kevin Smith and the podcast that he did that went out to millions of people may have actually ruined that that little loophole. Damn. So yeah, buy as many pieces of shit cars as you can, move to the state just before a hurricane, and then park them all like right by the sea. Spark them right there. Let them get dragged out into the ocean. They'll turn into lovely natural coral reefs, and yeah. you'll get some shitloads of money so you can make your own. Speaking of very independent of money, film, 
What's that? Speaking of shitloads of money, tonight yeah. is the Powerball drawing over here in the United mm-hmm. States. $1.6 billion. Holy shit. Yeah. That's not a lottery. That's like a nation's GDP. <laughs> right? Fuck it's, me. It's, I, I got a ticket. I'm excited. So if I'm not here ever again, it's because yeah. I won and, and somebody took me out. Or, <laughs> or if people tune into the next episode or live stream, and all of a sudden our production values have increased a hundredfold. Yeah. You know what's going on. Yeah. When all of a sudden we're lit like uh, professional news anchors. Yeah. Forget that. We're in the same studio. Never mind, like on different continents. You know, we're yeah. in the same studio. Joe Rogan style with uh, Sure SMB 700s or whatever they are. That's that's when you know Derek's one. One of the yep. Powerball. That'll be um, an indicator. Lev, that's not even Zimbabwe's GDP. I know I was joking. Maybe it's like. It's Kylie Jenner's GDP. It's Kylie Jenner's GDP. Yeah, the self-made billionaire. So, Derek, um, now that we've kind of blown 10 minutes of of that by by just chatting, which I like doing, um, who is your idiot for this week? Well, I've been covering some pretty heavy people, I feel like, Mm. all the time. And (laughs) I don't even know if this guy's an idiot, but Mm. he's fun and zany and he's wacky. And, and he's probably done some crazy shit. Well, yeah, there's some craziness in there. <laughs> and then there's sadness at the end. So you're welcome. Here we go. Okay. All right. He's born August 30th, 1963 in Ottawa, Ontario. That's in okay. Canada for people that don't own a map. He he was actually the youngest of two adopted children of Ooh. William and Marion Brocky, who were originally from the United Kingdom. Okay, cool. Right around the time he's three years old, him and his family immigrate to the United States, and now he's got dual citizenship as Canadian and and, uh, U.S., and he grows up in Fairfax, Virginia, has a normal life for the most part, but in high school, he gets interested in music. Okay. Um, He's also got a really vivid imagination and super creative throughout his childhood, and that led him to forming... One of the, the craziest bands, I think, uh, to ever exist. And that band was formed shortly after his graduation from high school in 1981. A few years later, 1984 rolls around and Guar is born. Guar! Guar! And now oh, it's, I love Guar. <laughs> it's, it's a heavy metal band, for those that don't know, that dress up. And there's a storyline um, that goes along with all of it. Dave was the lead singer and bass player of the band. He went by his his alter ego and character, all dressed up with masks and makeup and all the whole nine yards, is Odorous Arungus. I love that. Name. All of everybody in Guar has just sick names. Um like Flatus Maximus, Beefcake the Mighty, <laughs> Nippolis Erectus. Oh, that's know. yeah, yeah. That's it's a bit Monty Python. Eh, the well, biggest dickus. That's yeah. that's funny because Dave was a huge fan of Monty Python all there through high go. school and he quoted him. And I believe it it led to some of the backstory of these intergalactic humanoid barbarian devil horned. Um, well, mm. here, I'll just show everybody a picture. Uh, if, ev- if you're watching, so funny. <laughs> this is Odorous Arungus or Dave Brocky, lead singer wow. and bass player for Guar. Uh, oops, I forget how to get rid of that. There we go. Um, yeah, production values increased right there. Yeah, there you go. Also, uh, yeah, sorry, Tessoy, butting in with the Monty Python joke. He has a wife, you know. 
so um yeah dave brocky goes on forms guar they last from 1984 until i think they're still going i don't know if they replaced him but he was the only one to play the character of odorous arungus um he also was involved in my one of my favorite things comedy horror and in 2012 worked on a uh tv sitcom on fear net cable called holliston that's by Adam Green, who also did Frozen, which is not the Disney Frozen, but the 2010 Frozen psychological thriller. Yeah, with, uh, I think I've seen that. Yeah, well, they're like stuck on a... Yeah. Anyway, uh, so back to Dave. He does Guar, and if if people don't realize the show, I'll see if I can show people that are watching. Oh, I got to share my screen. Uh, in the 90s, there was this push uh, to stop rap music and rap music and obscenity and Tipper Gore testified before Congress and D Snyder was coming out doing, this was the perfect bestest time during shock rock and heavy metal. And in the nineties, David was also uh, brought up on obscenity charges in 1990 when he was arrested in Charlotte North Carolina at a concert that almost led to him being deported. And you might not think it was obscene, but well, just we'll take a look here. Oh, dang it. Oh, that doesn't it look obscene away. at all. It's just a nice it, camping scene. There he is. <laughs> oh, That's not obscene. Uh, I don't know where the one is, but it had it has like this monster popping out from his crotch. It's pretty amazing. That's not it. That's <laughs> just silly. Come on yeah. now. So, um, yeah, in 1990, they played that show. Well, now I lost my spot. Um, in Charlotte, that's right. And he was going to be deported. He took a, a cuttlefish on stage as a prop, <laughs> mm-hmm. and it was used to represent his penis on stage and the video of that was actually used in in court he oh come on he wasn't deported but he was banned from north carolina for a year so (laughs) why what's the fucking point like he's not gonna tour there for a year so why bother oh no i can't go to charlotte what a fucking (laughs) loss well hey (laughs) the lesson there is when in north carolina don't use a cuttlefish or an octopus to represent your penis in public that's a very specific rule. You might get banned for a year if you do that. But is it so? So you said you mentioned Tipper Gore. Um, this is is this immediately after we had the whole like Satan scare thing of the late eighties, or is this a, is, is this just after that? Like they've moved on from Satan worshiping cults to rap. Yeah, it's it's the evolution of that. It's after they've get gotten the um, warning labels on the 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 front of the things so that we know that there's bad language and scary things but i mean when you look at the like a guar album that came out around that time is phallus in wonderland oh amazing title the the song on it ham on the bone is got a a detailed story that uh well i mean it's a it's about the phallus in wonderland and the ham on the bone well, yeah. So I mean, you know what you're getting. You know, as a yeah. parent, if your kid's buying guar, you can see it right from the name. Yeah, and really compared to like, 
I'm trying to think of say something like I don't want to point fingers here, but who is that guy? That quite extreme uh rock musician guy who did a song called Jailbait. Oh, what's his name? Uh, Gun not... Collector sent death oh, threats to oh, um... Obama. Yeah, I, I can't remember his yeah. name. Didn't he? I can't drive 55 guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, oh, fuck me, that's going to drive. Van Halen, me. not Van uh, Hagar? Not, no. 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 Anyway, he's far more dangerous <laughs> because, like, that's that's like him and the kind of, I, I, I want to say, um, I mean, they were probably given rebukes as well, but um, Anthony Kiedis of the Red Hot Chili Peppers, who actually slept with an underage Catholic girl and then wrote a song about it. Way more oh, dangerous. Yeah, Guar. a little bit. Yeah, well, I don't know. They look pretty dangerous here. I they, they... Look at he's he's humping garbage with a bat phallus. <laughs> it's just stupid. It's silly. What's what's wrong with people? Oh, and, my God. Yeah, and honestly, uh, the only idiot part that is really in existence in here is that uh, all during this time from 1984 on he, he did like most rockers and partied well, and yeah. on Sunday March 23rd 2014 he was found dead sitting upright in a chair by a fellow band member and the cause of death was determined to be a heroin overdose so holy shit um, dark quick yeah and wow. that's 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 all I got. <laughs> Sorry. So that's that no 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 that's fine. That's that's kind of the absolute embodiment of burning bright for a short period of time, isn't it? And then flaming out. That's I mean, I've I've heard of musicians dying young, you know, you think about before they really got a chance to like kind of establish themselves. You think about someone like Sid Vicious. Yeah. Or, yeah, or or maybe you could argue Kurt Cobain because he hadn't really transitioned into a different form of music at that point. I, I guess you could argue maybe uh, Jimi Hendrix as well will be another example. Um, but uh, there's another guy, a lesser-known guy in a band called Snot, who I fucking love uh, Snot. Dude, James Lynn Strait. That one album is incredible. It is by far and away the best thing to come out of the new metal era. It was kind of before new metal was really a thing. That yeah. album called Get Some by Snot is it's the loudest, most brilliant album I've ever heard. James Lynn Strait screams down the microphone for like 45 minutes. Yeah. And then like he died in a car accident and that was it. Like yeah. gone forever. I think he was in a Jeep or something and it didn't have like a roll cage and he just crushed him. But that sucks. Yeah, I mean, it does. But Dave Brocky, he did have a long career, mm. and from 1984 to 2014, playing mm. a intergalactic barbarian, odorous orungus. Sorry, nice. Yeah, but so so he did have a long Sorry. career, and he was probably what you say he was 63, so he would have been 50, 51 when he died. Um, so you know, still short, still short. I mean, shit, that's like that's 10 years away from me and you right there. So. Um, you know, that's that's not a long life. I feel like his impact because Guar were like they were on Beavers and Butthead. Um, there was a random segment where they were in like uh Empire Records. Yeah, I feel like the, the, film Empire... 
Yeah, uh, like a what's weird his name was playing dream with dream sequence thing where one of the characters gets eaten. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was that's a great movie. That was a great that scene. That is a great movie. Yeah. That was the movie <laughs> that inspired me to go and work at HMV. Little did I know they were fucking slave drivers. But um so so yeah, I, I feel like Guar existed in this like just below the mainstream subculture along with like um uh Primus. And bands like that, like Green Jello, yeah, another great example. Like bands that you heard about, and that like occasionally had a song on like MTV Two or whatever it might have been, or the like the fringe version of that. But like they were always sort of there in the background. This cult existence of really interesting music mixed with um, law, yes, and, and storytelling. And kind of the interesting thing is that the band that have taken that to the mainstream that kind of interesting image and law and slightly fringe cult like music would be ghost who have become like huge over the last few years like particularly memes like that holy mary song of theirs mary on a cross has it's been all over tiktok and shit like that and it, and you know the guy every few years reinvents himself as a different antichrist pope sort of figure but you know <laughs> um, that they they kind of influenced a whole generation of like slightly weird avant-garde metal and musicians and stuff like that. So, you know, oh, yeah. there wouldn't be a Slipknot or or like a, um, a what was I going to say? That other band that did like Dig. Um, uh, oh, Clutch was one that they Clutch. That they love Clutch. With. Holy shit. That, that, the, the noise that band comes out with is very like scary Southern kind oh. of intimidation right i love it i, I love it. i'll put electric worry on repeat and just jam yeah. it out listen to us connecting <laughs> over music now we've probably lost like half the audience now so, metal sorry was meant... no that's fine. that's fine metal was meant to be weird that's very true i mean it, it's particularly weird if you see what's happened to bruce dickinson in the last few years fuck me that guy's lost his mind but um yeah <laughs> but yeah like the the kind of the flamboyance of metal that was born out of ironically you know the term comes from like because a lot of it was from the West Midlands, from the Birmingham area, where I'm from, from Black Sabbath and and people like that. Like early metal bands were metal because they were from industrial areas, you know, construction oh, wow. industries and stuff like that. Yeah, so you know, steel industry stuff like that, and uh, the the heart of the industrial revolution in the West Midlands and the Midlands. Um, that's where the metal song comes from. But if you think about where that starts from, like um, Ozzy Osbourne and and black sabbath and the kind of the they started with the whole occult devil worship but then it got a little bit weirder and weirder and ozzy became like a bit of a cartoon character as time went on and like Dude. that carried on through bands like guar who are just so entertaining and i feel like that if i mean obviously like the investigation from the government will have helped their sales no end because i guarantee people are like holy shit they're obscene i'm buying that record right but, <laughs> you know, um, I feel like they don't get enough credit. There are some bands that never really get the credit they deserve. I always think that Faith No More don't get yeah. anywhere near as much credit as they deserve for the influence they've had on music. But um, or the, oh, Mike Mike Patton, who's got one of the best voices in, in music history. Um, so, yeah, I, I can't, other than the way he died, which was incredibly sad, I can't yeah. really give um, your boy, um, I've forgotten his name. <laughs> Dave Brocky. 
Dave Brocky. Yeah, that's that's a cool name actually. That's a, that's almost like a rock name in itself. Um, I, I can't really score him too highly because I feel like the stupidity really comes from the death, which is sad. You know, right. who's doing? Who's still doing heroin at fifty? Yeah, you know. you get it. Yeah, you get it. You, you got to find peace back before pills that. by then. I know. Oh. Yeah. You look you at you look at the Rolling Stones. They stopped doing drugs in their forties, and they are well for the most part they are still alive, except for the one who died in the pool and the drummer who died recently. But um, you know those fuckers should be dead. Steven Tyler should be dead five times over, but he's still alive because he stopped doing drugs in his forties. If you're still doing the hard shit when you hit your middle age, you are done for. Yeah. You know, so, God, if you make it to middle age and you're doing the hard yeah. shit, yeah, should be like, yeah, you used up all your luck. <laughs> yeah, your you, your body your body starts to fall apart like in your forties anyway. Like as I'm finding out in my my own uh, ways here, but you know, um, so I think the death scores him a little bit higher. But really, I can't be too angry with the guy because he's so such a unique part of music history. I think I, I kind of have to go like seventy with him. Uh, you like, know what? I'll take that. Mm. I was kind of shooting for a D because I just wanted to yeah. talk about Guar and show funny <sighs> pictures and gifts. I just fucking love Guar. I do. <laughs> I would talk about Guar until like the end of time because it's one of those bands from that era of um, MTV when MTV was hot. Like everything it touched was hot. So by proxy, if Guar appeared on Beavers and Butthead, they were going to be seen by millions of people who might oh. have never heard of this fucking insane band. Well, so, yeah. And what, yeah. Did you know that they were involved with Doom? And the software development hired Guar to produce a showcase for the Halloween event uh, for Judgment Day release. I didn't fucking know that. That is that that just brings <laughs> it up. We're gonna have to lower the score again. That's gonna be a sixty-five now because uh-uh. Doom is one of my all-time favorite games. I didn't know they were involved with Doom. That's so random. I once saw a guy in a YouTube comment section describe Rolling Stones as when your grandpa is cooler than you. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it depends how you define cool, but sure, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I'm going to say uh, David Brocky of Guar. He's probably a solid 65. Not that stupid. Death was sad, but yeah, for his you know kind of contribution to the world of music and subculture in 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 rock and metal music, definitely like not an idiot, just a wonderful, interesting person. Now, um, I put out a, a tweet, and I'm just hoping that uh, people who saw this, like, because for the first time mentioning uh, when the show goes live, usually I just like put a little teaser out there. I mentioned the actual names of the people involved in this, and all of a sudden I'm noticing that we have slightly more uh, viewers and listeners than normal. So I'm hoping that one of them isn't the person I'm about to describe. So I did tag them into the tweet. Um, Marty, They're more than welcome to comment if, if you they are. are. Marty, if you're <laughs> listening to this, I, I apologize in advance, but we're going to cover your life with no um with no pull uh, no punches pulled um let me talk to you about one of the most interesting characters from a carny world like wrestling and it's interesting that we're going from guar to like another weird world where crazy <laughs> shit happens um there are a number of weird characters you can cover from the world of wrestling a lot of them will get into you know a really interesting characters as well like jake roberts who's had a really like how oh. the fuck that guy's still alive, Jake the Snake Roberts. Uh, kind of Scott Hall, Razor Ramon, who we'll mention in this. But I wanted to touch on a guy who at times has been covered by um, mainstream press. But in terms of like his insane life, I feel like he doesn't get enough kind of coverage. I want to talk today about Marty Gennetti 
the man for whom the party never stopped, ever, like fucking ever stopped. Um, <laughs> and I, I just want to give um, credit for this. Um, I got uh, the majority, like 75% of this was from an article by a guy called Cy Powell, who wrote this for prowrestlingstories.com. So if you go there, you can read this excellent story, or at least the majority of what I'm about to read. So Frederick Martin Gennetti, that that name does not suit the guy he becomes, was born on February the 3rd, 1960. So just slightly older than, than Dave Brocky here. So similar era, similar proclivities for drugs. Um, <laughs> not a huge amount is known about his early years, but what we do know is um, he entered um, high school, uh, when he was there, he was an amateur wrestler in the state of Georgia, which is quite a big wrestling state. I feel like in in like kind of wrestling circles and stuff. We've got quite a few that, legends and yeah, stuff. isn't that where um, the the cocaine baby little guy went? Yeah, to he was starting... <laughs> it's, it fucking is. I completely forgot. Oh my god, yes. And actually, um, the book I'm going to be using uh, covers him as well. Sorry, I've completely forgotten his name. His name's gone. But yeah, Georgia seems to produce quite a few crazy wrestling impresarios. Um, so Marty Jannetty, an amateur wrestler in the state of Georgia, qualifying for the state championship tournament his uh, last three years of high school, which is really interesting. Um, he also boxed while in high school and won numerous Golden Glove events. Damn. So... Sky was handy. Uh, that combined with his amateur wrestling background and decent size, like he wasn't big, but he was five foot eleven and two hundred and thirty pounds of muscle. So like quite stocky, quite big. Yeah, you know, low center of gravity, be very difficult to take down and and get off his feet. Meant that he was able to look after himself in like any physical confrontation against like rowdy pricks while on the road because wrestlers are constantly on the road that the carny routes have continued to like a touring circus type thing where they have to go from town to town venue to venue and invariably they end up in bars or strip clubs or whatever nightclubs and people people will always try it on with wrestlers until someone sees like haku bite someone's <laughs> fucking nose off and then all of a sudden they're like i don't want to fight these guys anymore um or like um, the Rock's grandfather, Peter Maivia, there's a just going off track now. Peter Maivia, High Chief Peter Maivia, just really lovely Hawaiian kind of laid back guy. And um, one day, a British wrestler called Billy Robinson, who was one of the most miserable human beings on the planet, but who also had a reputation for being tough and a shooter, said, called him a racial slur. So uh, Peter Maivia picked him up over his head and threw him through a window. Oh, um, and then when he, um, he wouldn't back down when Billy Robinson didn't realize that he'd lost a fight because he'd been thrown through a plate glass window. <laughs> um, the, uh, my via um, put his thumb in his eye and tried to pop his eye out. Yeah, that's oh. how fucking crazy wrestlers are. You get in a fight with them. You, they're not going to take you down and put like a headlock on. They're going to try and rip your face off. They're crazy bastards. So, Dude, yeah, what that one guy was pretty stabby even. Yeah, yeah, yeah. New Jack liked to stab people, even when he was working with them. Um, so, yeah, Marty Jannetty kind of able to look after himself, uh, which is very important as a wrestler when you're going from town to town, particularly in the early 80s when people tried that shit. So uh, quite a lot. Georgia is right next to Florida. So maybe the energy that causes uh, causes Florida to disregard the laws of physics and logic seems to cross the state border. I agree with Toast Zoid on that. I feel like there may be a little bit of uh, crazy crossover with that one uh yeah for sure so um after high school he wrestled at oh that's a word uh chattahoochee valley yeah. community college in alabama uh where he was a two-time njc 
AA qualifier. I'm assuming assuming that's like a so not national like NCAA. junior college right. athletic um, association. It's the NCAA, but the junior college for sure. version. Yeah, sure. So like decent wrestler, uh, but not quite like Brock Lesnar, Kurt Angle, NCAA champions multiple times. Yeah, all that D1 stuff. schools and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the big names. Um, he then went to Auburn University to wrestle, but the uh, school dropped its wrestling program. So um, he thought about trying out for college football, but instead uh, he went to a gym and was coaxed into training as a professional wrestler by a guy called Jerry Oates, who has trained quite a few famous wrestlers over the years. Ginetti began his career in September 1983, so he'd be 22 at this point, for Mid-South Wrestling, teaming with uh, his trainer Jerry Oates. Uh, he was kind of given the gimmick as his cousin marty oates which is a terrible fucking name um, marty and marty M- marty oates <laughs> terrible. jerry and marty the oats oh, fuck <laughs> that. until november after leaving mid-south he would wrestle under his real name for the southeastern championship wrestling where he would wrestle the likes of super olympia and mr olympia that's not particularly big names uh, Ginetti resumed his wrestling career in March 1984, wrestling for the National Wrestling uh, Alliance-affiliated Central States Wrestling. He wrestled in singles and tag team competition with various partners, including Bulldog Bob Brown, Dave Peterson, and Tommy Rogers. Uh, they were known as the Uptown Boys. That's that's quite a, that's not a great name for a tag team. It, sounds it doesn't sound scary. It doesn't sound intimidating at all, does it? Uptown Boys. It sounds like a dance crew. Town boys, it's just it's really not a great name. Uh, until joining forces with fellow rookie who was like a couple of years younger than him, Shawn Michaels, in late 1985, the heartbreak kid before he was really the heartbreak kid. At this point, I should point out, um, Shawn Michaels' voice when Mike Janetti met him, he was like, Oh, there's this 19 year old kid, this is really interesting. He goes up to this 19 year old, Hi, my, it's really nice to meet you. Like, Fuck me, <laughs> what is wrong with you? Oh boy, <laughs> Shawn Michaels has got one of the weirdest voices in wrestling. There's no way that voice should be coming out of that human body. Uh, Did he what eat would glass? Your, uh, <laughs> what would your wrestling name be? I actually wrestled for uh, a while back in Northumberland from 1999 to 2001, and I got so injured. So, um, but I, I wrestled up there. I, I can't give you my name, but uh, yeah, it was I wrestled, and I got so many separated shoulders and blown out ankles. Um, so Ginetti has now formed this tag team with Shawn Michaels. The two teamed as the Midnight Rockers, which is, is a better name, um, and quickly won the NWA uh, Central States Tag Team Championship from the Batten Twins. No idea who they are. Ginetti wrestled Ric Flair for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship during his time there. Ric Flair was a touring champion. He used to go around for all to all these territories, and he'd like wrestle twenty minute matches, and he'd make his local opponent look amazing before he cheated to go over. So, like, he'd retain his title, but he'd make the local guy who was, like, the top draw or whatever, he'd make them look good so that they could carry on doing business in the area. Really smart business decision from the NWA when you've got one world champion and then all these, like, regional heads. Um, And Ric Flair, he did that, like, up and down the world. He did it in Japan, he did it in Europe, he did it in America. The guy was the last touring world champion. It's kind of amazing. Um, Yeah, Yeah, it's pretty golden. Yeah, he really was. And Ric Flair, for a while, for like eight years, was without a doubt the best wrestler on the planet. He could make... There was a funny story about him 
wrestle it like you could wrestle a broom and make the broom look good but yeah he was he was a <laughs> ring general and that's really quite a rare thing to find um the brash young pair of sean michaels and marty Giannetti found early success in the awa which was the american wrestling association which was the number three promotion in north america behind the nwa slash Jim Crockett promotions and the WWF. In the AWA, Ginetti and Michaels quickly built a reputation as a talented tag team, performing many acrobatic moves in a tandem and electrifying clouds with crowds, even not clouds, with their athleticism. And also the fact they were quite young and good looking. So, like, girls were all over them. So. It's, is the Midnight Rockers the same as when Shawn Michaels was in the Rockers? Oh, yeah. It's the Progenitor. Okay. That's their initial name in the AWA. And that would have been copyrighted by Vern Gagne, who was the promoter. So Vince was like, I'll just call you the Rockers. And they're like, like <laughs> we can do that. We can just slightly change the name. Okay. Uh, good point by Tosazoid, the World Wildlife Fund, who, uh, yeah, man, that's that's a whole thing Whoops. in itself. Yep. Uh, tag team champion. They won the AWA Tag Team Championship twice, first defeating Buddy Rose and Doug Summers. And then the Midnight Express. There's too many Midnight teams in this organization <laughs> for their second and final reign. They also won the Southern Tag Team Championships twice, which is like the second tier tag team belts, but you shouldn't really need those. After defeating the Rock and Roll RPMs, no idea who the fuck that is, uh, on two separate occasions before jumping to the World Wrestling Federation in 1987. Briefly, and I'll get to this now. Okay. Because while the Rockers are synonymous with the specific time period in WWF, they got fired quick. They uh, were my favorite tag team crew. Yeah. And it's the short period of time that I like wrestling. I know. Mine too. Them, the British Bulldogs, the, the Heart Foundation, like the those three teams put on the Bush, the Bushwhackers. <laughs> those fucking guys. Those two guys who were in their 50s when they started that gimmick in the WWF had been wrestling for 30 years and they were doing the most hardcore matches you would ever see. They were wrestling in barbed wire. They were bleeding all over the place and then they come to WWF and they're like, and licking people's heads and shit. <laughs> for like, they're like, we're retiring soon. Like, they turned it bleed early from the Three Stooges. It was a pair yeah, of basically, yeah, they went because they were called the Sheep Herders before the Bushwhackers, which is not an intimidating name. But when you saw them wrestle, they were fucking. They used knives in their matches, <laughs> like shearing knives. <laughs> oh, jeez, <laughs> like crazy guys. So, um, back to the Rockers. Sorry, uh, the original. The original. No, no, it's just <laughs> I love talking about wrestling shit like that. Uh, the most popular wrestling organization, yes, the World Wildlife Fund. Uh, they originally signed for the WWF in 1987. Yet a mix of unprofessional behavior and a few too many late nights partying led to the pair being dismissed for a few short weeks. Now I'll go into detail because uh, the article didn't include this, but I know the story. Shawn Michaels uh, and Mighty Jannetty went out. Um, on the town they went to a nightclub and they were there with another wrestler who had just put them over in a tag team match jimmy jack funk who wasn't happy about putting over these young kids and um also jimmy jack funk is like it's the most carny fucking name again <laughs> um jimmy jack funk was like berating them all night like, ah you, you think you're hot shit do you? you think because the girls cheer for you that you're really good and you do all that flippy shit you're not that <laughs> fucking good um and he was like threatening to beat them up he was like you're not tough you're not even worth getting into a bar fight for so to prove his toughness noted not tough person Shawn michaels who is that i just want to point out my favorite wrestler of all time but has a history of being an arrogant politicking dick who's lost every single fight he's been in. And my God, he's been in a lot of fights. Um, so this not tough, like 22 year old or whatever he is at this point, smashed a beer bottle over his head to prove that he was tough. 
Vince McMahon got word of this and for some reason fired the Rockers instead of Jimmy Jack Funk for causing this situation. So I don't wow. know. Like, I know. And like wrestling at the time, there was far worse things. I don't want to point fingers, but Vince McMahon had already, had already covered quite literally for Jimmy Snooker murdering his then girlfriend. And yeah. he's like, oh, no, no, that was just an accident, guys. Police, please don't press charges. And like he admitted that he covered for that shit. So, yeah, but then he fired somebody over a beer bottle over that. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I guess maybe they didn't have dirt on him yet. Ah. So, yeah, maybe. Anyway, after working for various small territories, Marty and Sean found their way back to Vern Gagne's AWA. However, the once thriving company was on it on a steep decline because of the WWF's rapid expansion across the country and stealing all of their top stars. Uh, when Michaels and Janetti requested uh, more money and like, I'm not talking big, like maybe $50 a night or something, not huge money. Uh, they were greeted by a negative response and they immediately left the AWA. So they're only there for like, like a busman's holiday sort of thing, really. Um, when seemingly with seemingly nowhere to work, a prayer was answered in the form of WWF chairman, Vince McMahon. McMahon informed the pair that he would give them an opportunity to curb their party lifestyle and act more professionally, which, like Vince is a fucking party animal himself, so that's a bit hypocritical. Um, uh, is that Jeanette, what he considers professional, though? His level of partying? His level of partying, yeah. There's, there's a funny story about um, Vince McMahon, the Legion of Doom, Hulk Hogan, and like a couple of others going to, uh, and and the Hart Foundation, so Bret Hart and Jim the Anvil Nightheart, going to a, a strip club uh, late at night. And Vince McMahon's like, oh, yeah, you're all tough, but you're not as tough as me. I fucking fought Marines in the 50s and shit. And so he's, <laughs> he was like, he was telling all of the um, the uh, the wrestlers to give give his, give them, give him their finishes, but full force. He's like, hit me as hard as you can. You can't knock me off my feet. So like Hulk Hogan gives him like really gentle clothesline. And then the Legion of Doom pick, pick Vince McMahon up and Hawk puts him on his shoulders an animal jumps off the top and just gives him like the slightest delicate clothesline <laughs> and Vince falls backwards and all the guys behind him catch him and they all and Brett Hart says they all gave him a golf clap and it was all very <laughs> and he said Brett said he looked over at Jim Neidhart and Jim Neidhart's just doing this with his beard and he's like fucking Hart Foundation would have done it properly and uh, <laughs> Brett Hart was like I'm getting out of here I'm getting out of here now before he does something and before he had time to get out he turned around and Vince McMahon was being held by Neidhart in the position for the Hart Foundation's finishing move. And Vince is saying, oh, Brett, oh, your father would have been harder than you and stuff. And Brett was like, right. And he took his fucking head off and yep. just smashed it in and knocked Vince McMahon out for the first time out of two times that Brett Hart did that. But yeah, <laughs> so Vince McMahon is a, a, likes to think he's a party animal and a wild guy. But when he gets serious, he's like he gets himself into some really bad trouble. Tried to deliberately fart in front of one of his Jerry Briscoe, who's got a notoriously weak stomach. Ended up shitting his pants. So <laughs> this is at work. What the fuck? Hey, that going happens on? a lot in wrestling. It seems like it seems like ribbing is like a yeah. huge part of wrestling culture, and it's just it's kind of crazy. So back to the the the, the Rockers. Janetti uh, and Michaels made their TV de debut for the company under the shortened name The Rockers in June 1980, 1988 and never looked back. The WF tag team division in the late 80s was full of great names and huge, incredible tag team matches from 1988 through to their on-screen split in 1992. The Rockers 
had programs with Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard, who are known as the Brain Busters, the fabulous Rougeau brothers, the Orient Express, the Twin Towers, and Power and Glory. They also had a series of matches with Demolition and the Hart Foundation, the latter actually resulting in a tag team title win in 1990. However, during the course of the contest, the top rope broke, and they just carried on because they, these two teams were so amazing that they could work without like a functioning top rope. They could just do whatever they wanted. Um, the match was never aired on television, so the WWF just decided to keep the belts on on the Hart Foundation and not acknowledge the title change on TV. So they uh-huh. should have won the titles, but because the, t- the rope broke, they didn't. It's not the first time Gennetti will have his career scuppered by bad luck, but also bad decision-making. Uh, despite the disappointment of not collecting the tag titles, that was not the worst thing that happened to Marty Gennetti's career in 1990. During a match in December, Gennetti attempted his rocker dropper finishing move, which is like you put, basically you jump up and you put your the back of your knee over the back of someone's head and then like drive it, supposedly drive it down, but all they're doing is falling forwards and you're following them down, right? So it looks okay. like you've smashed their head with into the ground with the back of your leg, like the crook of your knee, but actually they've just done a forward plant. But it's, it's dead easy, like a forward bump. It's one of the softest things you can do. Um, unfortunately, um, the person who was taking the move, an inexperienced wrestler called Chuck Austin, Austin had volunteered his services to WWF because someone had no-showed that night, and he'd only been in wrestling training for six weeks, hadn't graduated yet. Oh. So um, he came down hard on his head, like fucking flat, like spiked himself into Ouch. the canvas like an idiot. And um, yeah, that'll fucking do it. This unfortunate bump broke Austin's neck, causing huh. him to become paralyzed. Chuck Austin sued the WWF and Ginetti with the case coming to a very costly close in 1994, which effectively, which affected uh, Gennetti's career again at that point. But at this point, people were like, ooh, maybe he's not safe in the ring. Maybe Gennetti's too dangerous in the ring. And like that reputation as a wrestler, that's really bad because you have to be like safe with people's bodies and shit. Yeah. So yeah, that, that didn't help. It, it, there's no like hard number on the settlement, but it's in the millions apparently. Oof. So that's that's gonna hurt and it's the company that has to pay that not Gennetti. so um, oh well yeah it's fine for him but in his employer's eyes they're like you just cost us a shitload of money that's not good um as 1991 roared on there were visible issues on screen with the rockers coupled with a few personal issues off screen between Gennetti and michaels Gennetti started laughing during his matches just like randomly smiling and laughing while he's punching people and getting hit and shit like that um, no selling opponent's offense. Like someone would punch him and he'd just be like, oh, fuck off. You know, just, <laughs> just like walk off. It's really funny. Like it happens on camera loads of times. It's really, really embarrassing. And um, there was one particularly infamous moment where he took what's known as the blind man bump. It was kind of created by him as a result of this. He, he'd had salt thrown in his eyes, like gimmicked salt by okay. uh, the Midnight Express's manager. And instead of like falling over and holding his eyes, he decided to do a fucking, he held his eyes and did like a Frankenstein stumble around the ring going, oh, oh. and then he deliberately walked over a barricade and flipped fully over it and landed in the laps of people on the front row. <laughs> and there's this oily wrestler landing on them going oh my eyes i can't see a thing <laughs> uh, and and sean michaels who's working his ass off in the middle of the rings looking at him going what the fuck are you doing you you crazy drugged up bastard so he's just so, off script huh 
yeah, yeah. He just decided to go up for a fall into the crowd, just lie in people's laps for a bit and just like smile and pretend that he's dying. <laughs> Uh, in Shawn Michaels' biography, Heartbreak and Triumph, the Shawn Michaels story, he explains that Janetti stated uh, the team could get a higher guarantee with WCW than um, if they kept to their current WWE contracts, which turned out to be very inaccurate. Um, so Janetti has disputed this, saying it was, in fact, Shawn Michaels who wanted to test the waters elsewhere. Whichever version is true, this led to Janetti going up to Vince McMahon and asking for his release from the company. He wanted his contract just torn up because they signed, oh. like, three-year deals back then. So that's like, you've got a downside guarantee, you've got all this merchandise, and you just want to walk away. Um, when McMahon said, um, sorry, Jeanette, uh, when McMahon said he would regret this, Michaels was apparently visibly shaken by Vince's response because Vince is like that. He's like, you'll never be anything without me. Um, and Shawn Michaels behind Janetti's back called the chairman himself to explain in actuality, Janetti, who was the driving force behind the potential departure and Shawn wanted nothing to do with it. That's some full fucking bullshit right there. Oh, that's like selling your body out. Right. Yeah. There. Just right under the bus. Just yep. Fucking throw him there. You remember me telling you that Shawn Michaels was a prick? This is the start of the prickness. He's like in Aha. his mid to early 20s, and he's like, I'm going to fuck my friend over. <laughs> uh, eventually, the duo decided to stay with WWF. I don't know why they'd want to leave. They were earning half a million dollars a year in the late, sorry, in the early 90s at this point. That's a shitload of money. Why, yeah. do, you want to, why do you want to leave? That's was crazy. they just really didn't like each other or the organization that much? Or I think I think the wheels are just coming off generally at this point. Like, and you know, we've both been in situations where you work hard, but like working hard in wrestling is a lot like being on the road, traveling a lot. You're getting hurt all the time. You're not really having a time to recover. You get like two days off a month to go yeah. home and see your family and shit. Like that's not much time to recover. Um, so yeah, I think they were burning out, but Janetti was like, he was really fraying at the edges, uh, uh regularly out partying and overdoing it. Um, Janetti was becoming a bit of a problem again and falling back into his old habits. This caused him and Michaels to clash a few more times with the most famous incident, uh, being in Roddy Piper's hotel room where the police had to be called. Um, oh. Uh, yeah, we're getting a Rick James level incident here. Kind of crazy. <laughs> uh, according to Michaels in his biography, an intoxicated Rowdy Roddy Piper, he says intoxicated, he doesn't say what substance it was. Piper was a big fan of cocaine, according to Ric Flair, so it was probably coke. Uh, <laughs> Piper was very vocal about Shawn Michaels was the future of the business. He was right. You don't say that in front of an equally inebriated Marty Ginetti, who took offense to that and challenged Shawn Michaels to a fight. There and then in the hotel room. So yeah. Just, yeah. That what seems legit. Yeah. Something Shawn Michaels wanted nothing to do with because he knew that his, like, this guy was a trained amateur wrestler. He'd won Golden Glove tournaments. He'd been to college. Like, he was like, I don't want to fight you. You'll kick the shit out of me. Um, <laughs> this did not stop Ginetti from still trying. And he attacked his partner, leaving a decidedly wobbly, rowdy, rowdy Piper to separate them. His Piper's coked out of his mind. He's like, ah, stop fighting. Stop it. <laughs> like, what are you going to do? You're barely able to stand as it was. That's one version of events. The other version is that Ginetti challenged Michaels to a fight. And Sean just straight up pretended not to hear him. He's like, la, la, la. Carrying on with hey, my life. That's a and good idea. That's, that, I mean, <laughs> it, it would have been a good idea had Marty Gennetti not been dead set on fighting him. Like in that situation, the best thing you can do is get distance 
try and calm them down and get the fuck out of the room because they are they're, they're going to fight you if you stay there no matter what so just yeah. leave you know yeah. at that point um so marty beat the shit out of him basically is is the other half of that during the melee the police were uh, arrived and wanted to arrest janetti but luckily for the bleary-eyed marty macho man randy savage was hanging around and oh, convinced yeah. the police oh yeah it was nothing brother it was a work <laughs> Um, and convinced the part of the police that it was all part of the show. And after collecting a few autographs and shaking hands with the macho man, oh yeah, shake my hands. Like <laughs> uh, <laughs> the police left. However, the damage was done. Michaels wanted to quit the WWF over the incident, seemingly done with his lo- uh, done with his long term partner's antics. Now, this threatening to quit after getting in a fight is something that re- is something that regularly happened whenever Shawn Michaels got the shit kicked out of him. For being a prick and because he never wins fights he always got his ass kicked so bret hart uh beat the absolute living shit out of him backstage because Shawn michaels went on screen with an un he was they were in a feud and mm-hmm. he said um i know you're on the road bret hart you're being ha- you've had some sunny days now what he meant by that sunny was a female wrestling personality at the time bret hart was married and everyone knew what he meant he was alleging that they were having an affair so bret hart hearing that not being told about it in advance not agreeing to it went backstage confronted bret uh Shawn michaels about it Shawn michaels went oh what are you gonna do so bret hart beat the shit out of him because that's what you do in a situation like that. <laughs> and also the ironic thing is that Shawn michaels was having sunny days because he was fucking sunny on the side not bret hart so hey, that was you know kind of ironic yeah and uh another one uh harris brother who these harris brothers these twins that were in a tag team massive guys they're kind of neo-nazis so fuck them but Shawn michaels said that they were useless and um the harris twins ordered everyone out of the room and one of the harris brothers picked him up by the throat and pinned him up against the wall and Shawn michaels started crying while he was being punched in the face um and then Shawn yes, michaels yeah, as you do. I'd be fucking crying. I'd probably piss myself as well. Um, and another night, Shawn Michaels went out on the town uh, with uh, Sean Waltman, the one, two, three kid, and the British Bulldog, and just decided to start flirting with a woman who was clearly with a Marine that night. And the Marine was there with some of his Marine buddies. And Shawn Michaels wouldn't leave this woman alone, despite the fact she kept saying, hey, I'm with this guy. Leave me the fuck alone. So according to Shawn Michaels, he was taken outside and beaten up by eight Marines. Now, according to pretty much everyone else that was there, he was beaten up by one Marine who beat the absolute shit out of him and left him in such a condition that he couldn't wrestle for a couple of months because of a concussion. See, so. you know what it was, is he was whooping his ass so hard, the other ones were standing around cheering him on. He just, it was like the... <laughs> I want some of that! <laughs> <laughs> well, he was like, I beat up by eight of them, and it's like, well, no, it was one, and you were seeing double, and then his friends were cheering him on around you. Yeah. None of them. <laughs> the, the, his friends were handing him a towel, you know, giving him a <laughs> bottle of water, maybe chatting about, oh, you know, the way they sauteed that burger we had, man, that was really, really nice. Like, that's that's not getting involved in the fight. That's just them seeing this guy beat the absolute shit out of a pussy. Um, ultimately, as we are fully aware, Shawn Michaels did not quit the company, but a plan was put in place shortly after for the Rockers to split. In various shoot interviews, Giannetti states that he believes the incident was the main reason for the popular tag team parting ways. Yeah, getting drunk and beating people up is... It's, they're not going to want to work with you anymore. Simple, really. On screen, there were a few scripted misunderstandings during matches. Uh, during a rare singles match for Sean, Janetti rolled him back into the ring, thinking he was helping his partner. This actually led to Shawn Michaels' opponent, Ric Flair, 
being able to pin him easily. Another disagreement took place at 1991 Survivor Series pay-per-view. Shawn Michaels took an accidental knock to the face as Giannetti brawled with one of the nasty boys, which led to his elimination from the match. A very boisterous discussion followed as fans of the team watched on, surprised by the popular on-screens uh, on-screen duos unraveling. In December that year, the legendary barber shop split took place. However, it wasn't aired until January 1992. In one of the most memorable turns in wrestling history and one of the most iconic visuals of wrestling, which I can't show you without WWE striking this video down, so I won't. I'll describe it to you. Um, the pair seemed to reconcile their differences. And as Janetti, the barbershop is a thing that was hosted by Brutus Beefcake, and they had a barbershop set. So you had the window, you had the chairs, you had you know, the pillar things with the red and blue right. on them and shit like that. And... Um, Jeanette, he said, hey, I'm going to turn my back on you now. And if you want to walk away, you walk away. And uh, if you're still here when I turn around, I want you to shake my hand and we'll just get over this. And turns around. Shawn Michaels is a bit umming and ahhing, but eventually shakes his hand. Jeanette, he raises his arms and then Shawn Michaels kicks him in the face. <laughs> um, <laughs> a really perfect super kick as well. And also Bobby Heenan on commentary. It's Bobby the Brain Heenan sells this beautifully because he's like, you know, they're nothing without each other. I, I knew they'd stay together. And then Shawn Michaels kicks Jeanette in the face. And he goes, oh, I knew he was going to do that. Just <laughs> immediately turns. It was so funny. Um, Michaels picked Jeanette up and then threw him face first through the barbershop set window, which oh. was... Really dramatic in 1991, 1992. Nobody had really seen anything like that in like a live show. Janetti, who was hunched over in the barbershop window for like 10 seconds before he fell back over, over um, grabbed a blade, grabbed a small piece of a razor blade and bladed on the top of his head and his forehead was covered in blood. That never happened in the WWF. They were very anti-blood, but they were oh. allowed to do it on this one occasion. And like people in the crowd, the, the kids were crying. When they oh, saw yeah. Shawn Michaels Jeez. ripped up a thing. Perfect heel turn. It's amazing. Also, they should have seen it coming because Janetti showed up like in colorful clothes and Shawn Michaels is wearing like a black leather jacket and black jeans and like an earring in his ear. It's like, you look like George Michael. Either you're turning heel or you're going to start singing, you know, Faith or something like that. <laughs> so um, in that instant, well, that the rock, cool. <laughs> that would have been amazing. Can you imagine that? That's a heel turn right there. Singing George Michael. In front of like wrestling fans who come to see a fight, that would that would get your heel heat. Um, <laughs> the rockers were done. Some uh, something of further interest in this segment when watch back is the difference between the two, which was evident even then. Shawn Michaels oozes charisma. He's so charismatic, uh, coming across as like cocky and conceited and really arrogant, which is basically what he was in real life. And Janetti is super super wooden, and it's like the difference between like Richard Nixon and Kennedy in those TV debates where like if you'd heard it on the radio, you know, you thought Nixon won because he made some good points, but you watched him on TV and he's sweating like a like a fucking pig in a you know a barber shop, a butcher shop even, then you know that there's there's a problem. So that was the difference. And that's where Marty Gennetti at this point becomes a byword. But when teams split up, one of the tag team becomes more successful. They become the Shawn Michaels of the team. When the other person isn't quite so successful, maybe loses their job a bit. That's the Marty Gennetti of the team. Unfortunately, he became a byword for failure after this. Aye. Yeah, that's not good, and you're about to see why. The scene was set for the former partners to do battle. Brilliant moment in WWF television, signaling the end of a much-loved tag team. Gennetti was garnering a large level of sympathy for the beating he sustained, while Michael strutted around, riling up um, even the most reserved of fans, because he's like, he's caught... Um, 
Mr. Perfect came up with Kurt Henning came up with the name the Heartbreak Kid, and um, he's dressing like a Chippendale, and he's coming out with a mirror, and he's got a song where Sensational Sherry, who's his new manager, is singing about how gorgeous he is and how amazing he is and shit. It's like the perfect heel for the early '90s, to be honest. It was very very clever. Um, the angle was red hot. And fans were desperate to see Janetti get his revenge. Yet they had to wait a while because Janetti's poor decision making and personal issues uh, provided another setback. On the 25th of January 1992, mere weeks after the barbershop segment aired on television, Marty Janetti was arrested. Marty was ju- uh, uh, charged with resisting arrest and possession of cocaine after police were called to an incident where Janetti had gotten physical with some uh, security at a Tampa Bay nightclub. This uh, led to, had to Ginetti, be Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay. <laughs> that led to Janetti being suspended from the company while he was under house arrest. What a fucking idiot! Oh. You know, you, go out to a nightclub. Sure, don't get physical with the bar staff. And if you're going to get physical, don't have coke on you or any drug. That's yeah. like a major problem. Yeah. You well, know? that's 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 the thing. When you're going to make bad decisions. Yeah. You, should only make one at a time. Yeah, make, make one bad decision. <laughs> Don't make a sequence of bad decisions starting with, I'm going to leave home with cocaine in my pocket. Then I'm going to get arsy with the door staff. Then I'm going to get arsy with the police. And then I'm going to run away because I'm worried about them finding my cocaine. Like That is a series of bad, stupid decisions that I'm sure he regrets to this day. Anyway, um, a huge point, uh, turning point in Gennetti's career. The start of his singles push was stalled for months while you know the case resolved. He got off quite light, to be honest. To be fair to the WF's creative team, the way Janetti made his return was really well handled. In October of 1992, Shawn Michaels was in the ring with new manager Sensational Sherry going through his posing routine in a mirror Sherry was holding. The camera angles were placed in such a way that um, fans watching at home could see Janetti's reflection in the mirror, but not Shawn Michaels. And Shawn Michaels could see Janetti's reflection. He reacted, and there was a whole brawl. And it was like, that was one of the few moments in wrestling television where the directors and camera crew really got it spot on. Uh, the feud between the two former partners was on, albeit several months after the original plan was shelved. This led to an intercontinental title match uh, at the 1993 Royal Rumble. Ginetti still dressing like he was in a tag team, uh, like he was in the Rockers, using the Rockers music, was not actually first to the ring, despite being the challenger, because he was really popular. The first entrance was made by Sherry, who stood in a neutral corner for the contest. As the match wore on, the commentary team was de- uh, undecided of Sherry's allegiances, because she had sympathy and they were trying to turn her baby face and like Shawn Michaels. It's the whole thing. It's a very clever story. Okay. The end of the contest uh, with the referee down, uh, this became a bit more clear. Sherry attempted to hit Michaels with one of her shoes, but um, as Ginetti held uh, Shawn Michaels, the champion moved and uh, sensational Sherry struck Mike Ginetti. Michaels took full advantage for the pin and the win. This should have led to more matches because it's like an, it's like a kind of an unclear ending, like made to further the thing towards uh, a WrestleMania match, probably with okay. a decisive finish, a blow off to the feud. Um, but Janetti uh, wasn't beaten clean, so it would have carried on. However, Janetti's self-destructive nature reared its ugly head again, or at least so it would uh, seem. Anyway, Janetti was fired very quickly after the match over allegations of being drunk or hungover during the contest which is oh. like showing up to work drunk. That's not good when you've got like control over someone's body. Yeah, um, that's something you save for working in radio. Yeah, you can show up <laughs> drunk to that. Or maybe like a press conference, but you don't 
show up drunk when you're throwing people around. Uh, Ginetti has always denied and stated that he believes Shawn Michaels himself started the rumor to get him the fuck out the door because he was just done with working with him at this point. However, around this time, Ginetti had been sleeping in locker rooms and arguing with backstage producers in such a way that complaints were made to Vince McMahon directly about his conducts by Ray Stevens, a former wrestler who now worked as a, a road agent, like a producer who corralled the other wrestlers. I'm inclined to believe that he was either drunk or hungover, because nobody falls asleep in a locker room. You know? Uh, Can you imagine yeah. Steph Curry just like showed up to a game and instead of doing his pre-game routine where he's like, throwing shots from half court and like in the stands and stuff. He was just like, I'm I'm gonna stretch out in the corner here. Uh just wake me in three hours. That'd be great. Yeah. It seems like maybe if you've been up for days and days doing cocaine and running from the cops, you might get a little tired. <laughs> it's a little tiring. You can stretch out on that wooden bench over there surrounded by other wrestlers who are like, what the fuck's going on here? Uh <laughs> yeah. Just Marty, just take another bump. Just get through the day, you know, get back to the hotel. Um, whether it was uh, because Janetti was impaired or whether Michaels uh, started the rumors or Janetti's own reputation at this point working against him, Marty was once again fired for the third time from WWF. According to WWF producer Bruce Pritchard on his podcast, Something to Wrestle, Mr. Perfect Kurt Henning spoke with Vince McMahon and went to bat for Janetti during this period. Hennig explained he believed Janetti was, uh, he did not believe Janetti was under the influence, and that Michaels had, in fact, lied to cover up his own condition during the match at the Rumble because Shawn Michaels was also on the pills at the time, yeah. starting to drink heavily. So, yeah. Due to Henning's testimony, Janetti was rehired almost immediately, and Janetti uh, made the latest of his returns on Monday Night Raw. On May 17th, 1993, with adversary Shawn Michaels in the ring, declaring he can beat anyone, issued an open challenge. Ginetti came through and uh, accepted. Later on in the show, Ginetti beat Shawn Michaels for the Intercontinental title in a very good but slightly short match, uh, thanks to Mr. Perfect kind of distracting Shawn Michaels at ringside. It was kind of uh, Ginetti's first only singles run. It was short-lived. Michaels won the championship back on a house show a few weeks later. I think that was done. That whole title change was done for two things. It was done to goose ratings on the TV show because they were like, hey, title changes can happen on TV. And also it was kind of a punishment because it seems that management actually did believe that Shawn Michaels was fucking Marty Jannetty over and spreading rumors about him. So it was like a kind of a punishment, like you get less money now because you're not the champion and you're not headlining cards and stuff. So, Aha. yeah. Yeah, and also the title change was done on a house show because the house returns were down because Hulk Hogan wasn't around at this point. So they have to kind of incentivize people to show up to non-televised events. And they're like, hey, title changes can happen on house shows too. Give us your $30. Sit down. Watch it happen really quickly. Um, so yeah, it was, it was kind of a smart business decision, but also seemed like a punishment as well. That makes um, sense, though. It does, from both angles. Punishment's a big thing in wrestling. It's, again, also weird. Despite a short-lived title run and some great TV matches, Marty Jannetty did not feel like a star in this era. Still coming to the ring dressed in his rockers gear and using the old rockers theme, he came across as a little stale, like he didn't reinvent himself, whereas Shawn Michaels had completely done a 180. Well, see, yeah. and this is the sad thing, because I knew who the rockers were, and I knew who yeah. Shawn Michaels was, but exactly. I didn't know. I couldn't remember Jannetty's name at all. That's and that's sad. why that's because he's the Marty Jannetty of the team. <laughs> so he's the guy who gets forgotten, uh, largely 
in his own fault. By the time SummerSlam 1993 rolled around in August, Ginetti was being used less and less. At SummerSlam itself, Ginetti was used to push the giant, green as grass and utterly useless Ludwig Borger, who beat him in a seven-minute squash match that required Ginetti to basically run around the ring and bounce off this giant lumbering Finnish guy to make him look like an unstoppable monster when, in fact, he was just fucking useless. So, ah, yeah. Just big. So, yeah, Tony Helm, Holm, again, another wrestling fascist, basically ended up becoming a far-right politician. He, he'd been an arm wrestler before all this, and he had a great look. Like, he looked scary. He was six foot five, like had a, a kind of um like a what's that flat top cut thing yeah um and like really dark stare but yeah he was fucking useless Looks like the scary russian from rocks basically yes only with like 10 percent of the coordination um, <laughs> just completely uncoordinated guy like he stumbled when he was standing still it was pathetic later that year Ginetti put um another good showing at the survivor series pay-per-view in a, a match worth revisiting, the odd teaming of Ginetti, Razor Ramon, the One Two Three Kid, and Macho Man Randy Savage took on an even more bizarre combination of Irwin R. Scheister, IRS. What a great fucking name! Yeah, um, Diesel, uh, uh, the model Rick Martel, and Adam Bomb, baby. Um, <laughs> great name. The mishmash of styles and characters somehow clicked, and they put a uh, uh, surprisingly entertaining twenty-five minute match on. It was really good. I remember that match to this day, even though it was like 25, nearly 30 years ago now. Marty, however, was floundering. Looking for a new direction, the former rocker was paired with Sean Waltman, who was known as the 1-2-3 kid at the time, who was like 21, really young, incredibly athletic, also had a massive drug habit. So that's wrong that's... person to put with Marty Jannetty right there. If you're like, oh, I'm a young kid and I've still got my athletic ability, but I quite like cocaine. Let's go and hang out with Marty Jannetty. Like, oh... What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> it's like having a young Rick James and putting it with a slightly older Rick James. And uh, brilliant, that's what happened. This came across as a short-term experiment. Yet the crowd reactions to like because they were underdogs. They were both like less than five, six foot tall. They were both flyers, and like they were surrounded by giants at the time. Genetti seemed to be onto something, and the pair even won the tag team championships in early 1994 before the dropping of the championships back to the former holders, the Quebecers, again, a week later. It seems at this point uh, that management feel they can't trust Marty Gennetti with like a lengthy title race. So they're like, here you go. You've done quite well recently. Here's a little win. You can have a little bit of extra money, but give us it fucking back, you crazy. <laughs> um, because they know you'll screw up. And, I mean, he's been fired at three, three times at this point. It's a fair assumption that he's going to screw up, right? So. Yeah. And and is he screw now I'm trying to remember, is he screwing up usually when he's doing well? Um, he's at this point, like nineteen ninety-four, he's like he's he's solid. So it's like th I'm trying to think of a, a way. Think about any like like baseball or football team, and you're trying to like fill out your ranks, right? And you need like good hands. Like, oh yeah, this guy's you know, he's not a starter. But he can do a job. He can do a job in this position. And if we need a backup, like late in the game or something, like perfect. He'll he'll do fine. Okay. So that's what Janetti's like. He's like he's got ten years' experience at this point as a wrestler. He's kind of a screw up. He's not going to be the guy, but he's useful. He can put guys over. He can build up other stars. And if you need like a spot in the card where the crowd are going to react, they'll react to him. He's okay. just like 
he's not the guy you want to give the keys to the car with the baby in the backseat on, you know, because it's going to drive up a cliff. Um, <laughs> so, while they're doing quite well, Ginetti's been rewarded. Uh, the kid continued to work tag team matches in a, uh, for a few weeks, putting on some exciting showings. Marty hit the self-destruct button again. Uh, destruct button again. In February 1994, Marty Ginetti was arrested on a European tour for attacking hotel staff over a phone call he was trying to make to his sick father that was not connecting properly. I can understand the distress in this situation, but Marty, stop fucking hitting people. You know? You know, I I don't know mm. what the story is, but certain no. things make you mad. Um, yeah, and you like, overreact. Yeah, and, I mean, he, and Janetti has a history of hitting people, right? He's beaten up his tag team partner. He's tried. To, he's beaten up security staff. He's tried to attack police. Why wouldn't you think you could take on hotel staff at this point? You know, like you've beaten people much tougher than them. So uh, <laughs> yeah, so he's arrested and and also like arrested in Europe. That's like a whole because like a third of their business at this point is coming from Europe and they were doing more and more tours. So if you've got a criminal record in Europe and you're basically kicked out of the EU, you're not coming back for 10 years. So oh. well, that's not good. Career. Yeah. Cause like you can't work a third of the shows, but they've still got to pay you your downside. So the fucking good are you anyway, this coupled with the unfortunately timed conclusion of the Charles Austin lawsuit, which led to, you know, millions in payouts because this guy broke his neck all those years ago. Janetti uh, was gone once again from WWF. However, at this point, he actually has some options instead of just the independents. Janetti uh, worked for a very young ECW at the time, uh, actually appeared. On occasion, he would no-show because cocaine is more fun than working an independent <laughs> wrestling show. Uh, some independent dates before returning to the WWF again for a fourth time in September 1995. Wow. No-showing. Uh, no showing wrestling events is particularly bad in the independent scene because uh, someone of Marty's stature as a former WF star and stuff, he would have commanded so much money instead of being paid on the day, like a lot of the guys who are getting paid like 100 bucks, 200 bucks, he would have been charging thousands of dollars. So in that situation, what wrestling promoters do is they send you half of your money up front as a retainer. So like, we'll give you half now so that you can, you know, pay for your car and your hotel, or whatever it is. And then you get the other half when you show up to the show. Marty decided not to do that. He just took the money and never showed up. Never bothered oh. getting on the flight. So he's like, oh, thanks for the thousand dollars. I'll keep that. Fuck you. You know, so oh, what a dick move. Yeah, that is a massive dick move. That's a great way to get a terrible reputation. Um, however, the Marty Gennetti that was rehired by WWF in September 1995 was not the same competitor from his rockers days. He uh, you couldn't compare him with the Marty the old. He was a bit slower. And um, just like a bit off, basically, because like the injuries and the drugs and the party lifestyle and the advancement of time, because he's been wrestling for 12 years at this point. Um, it seems that he's starting to become a bit of a shadow of his former self now. So time is starting to catch up with him. He's in his 30s, mid to late 30s at this point. It's, it's starting to look a bit tough. So um, sadly, the competition did not stop there as Ginetti's ex-tag team partner, Shawn Michaels, at this point, was displaying everything that Ginetti was not in the main events. Michaels is a massive prick, or was a massive prick, depending on who you talk to. He was an absolute wizard in the ring. This man was the best in-ring performer of all time. Um, okay. There are different ways that people rank 
wrestling, like drawing power and ability on the microphone, like The Rock and stuff like that. And Hulk Hogan was a huge draw and Steve Austin was a huge draw. But in terms of in-ring ability and ability to convey a story and connect with an audience and get them to invest in what you're doing in that moment, Shawn Michaels was better than Ric Flair. He was better than Kurt Angle. He was the best of all time. But Monty Gennetti wasn't, and he's starting to slow down at this point, whereas Michaels is just getting going, really. You got to kind of wonder if that adds on to it being so yeah. close to somebody so big. Yeah, and like I guess there's like an element of resentment as well. Like this guy who fucked me over, and there's, there's no doubt in my mind that Shawn Michaels fucked Marty Gennetti over at some point. Um, this guy is getting rewarded for fucking me over and he's putting on these great matches sure but he's getting everything that i want and i'm trying i'm trying i'm trying but it's not working but he's not seeing that he's still the same guy that he was eight years ago sort of thing so he's not right. changed and yeah. you gotta do in a business in show business you have to reinvent yourself and marty Gennetti is not doing that he's the same guy um he worked various tag team matches in 1995 with razor ramon psycho sid and the 1-2-3 kid they offered a small peak yet this is more down to the talent he was sharing the ring with as shown in a dip in quality with his next venture marty Gennetti in the early 1996 started working with al snow who at the time was going by the name leaf cassidy terrible name as what? a team <laughs> no leaf as in l-e-i-f oh. cassidy as in sean cassidy um as a tag team called the new rockers and it was actually kind of clever in that they came out they did exactly the same shit that the rockers always did they were like ah full of energy ah the same music and stuff and like they acted like geeks and the crowd fucking hated them so they were booing <laughs> so they became heels so they did exactly the same shit that they were doing in the late 80s but because people were like it's fucking 96 what are you doing you loser and they became <laughs> heels and they okay. acted heelish and they would like cheat and stuff, but then they'd be like, hey, woo, and play to the crowd and the crowd like, fuck off, you're just a bunch of losers. <laughs> so it's kind of clever, but at the same time, Janetti's like sucking air on the outside while a much younger Al Snow is doing all the work. Um, this again failed to recapture the magic, even though they got a little run out of it. But around this time, a really interesting thing starts happening. Janetti was always well liked by the guys. Like people generally liked him other than Shawn Michaels. Most people liked him because he's he's that kind of guy. He's the screw up that's always kind of funny and nice, you know. Oh, okay. Like you, you know, oh, he's got his problems, but he's a good guy deep down, sort of thing. Anyway, he starts sharing a car at this point with Al Snow and Mick Foley, and they're like best friends, mankind, Cactus Jack, Mick Foley, who at this point is on his way to the top he's starting to get over and um just the nicest guy in the world mick foley great storyteller i have his book here and in this book mankind uh have a nice day mick foley's first autobiography which i've had for like 20 years you that can see how tattoo that that it's a big fucking biography and on the back he's got a list of every injury he's ever had including the half missing ear and shit oh, like goodness. that yeah that's a lot of that's a lot of injuries um there's a section in the book where Mick Foley talks about Marty Gennetti and Al Snow and him sharing a car ride to a venue. And Gennetti was like trying to pass the time because they always tell stories to pass the time, right? Marty Gennetti decided to do an impression of his old promoter, Vern Gagne from the AWA. Okay. And, um, and how Vern Gagne was berating him <clears throat> for not knowing how to wrestle properly because Gagne was like, take him to the ground and you gotta you gotta like pull the leg and shit and like marty Gennetti wanted to do exciting moves and Vern Gagne hated it 
So Gennetti was recounting this conversation he had with Vern Gagne, only he replaced the word wrestle with the word fuck. And I'm going <laughs> to read, I'm going to read uh, from this tattered biography now in as best a Vern Gagne voice as I can do. Uh, let's see. He was promoting in the Minneapolis area, which prided itself on the technical wrestling emphasis. By doing a dead-on Vern Gagne impression and substituting the word fuck for wrestle, Marty had us on the verge of crying. Jesus Christ, kid! Where'd you learn how to fuck? Not in this territory, because in this territory, fucking comes first. Back in the day, kid, we knew how to fuck. After all, that's what the name on the marquee says. Fucking. So, um... <laughs> Jeanette, that's telling the tickets. I know. <laughs> so, yeah, that that would be a, a show that draw more than the AWA was. So yeah, um, he did this, and they basically had to pull the car over because they could barely breathe, and they were like laughing their heads off. Jeanette is well liked. He's become like a, a fun wrestler, but he's completely unreliable. Um, later that year, Jeanette left the WWF. This time. Uh, uh, of his own request, asking for his re uh, his release. After working a few independent dates and showing up in ECW again, Janetti resurfaced in the mainstream WCW television shows, which uh, primarily working as an uh, enhancement talent to bigger stars, Janetti almost seemed revitalized, um, wrestling a new wave of talents such as Chris Jericho, Chris Benoit, who would pretend he doesn't exist uh, or didn't exist, and because he murdered his wife and son, and Raven, um, Marty performed at a high level, uh, higher level than his last WWF run, and picked up an injury, unfortunately, on uh, a Monday night, uh, Monday Nitro against Conan. The injury basically meant that he would be released from WCW, but because this was the height of the Monday Night Wars, and they uh, WCW used to sign people to guaranteed contracts. So Janetti would have signed a three-year contract, and I have it here. His minimum downside guarantee, you pick up an injury, you can't work for a year, you can't sell any merchandise, you're off TV, you're at home, you know, limping around, whatever it was. His minimum downside guarantee as an enhancement talent where he's not winning anything was $250,000 a year. Damn. Minimum. That's, That's if you go home. Solid. If, yeah. You go home, you do fuck all, you earn two hundred fifty grand that year. And then huh. the next year of your contract, and the next year of your contract. And if they want to buy you out of your contract, they have to pay half of it up front. Aha. So you work well, a year, you get injured, you know, and they're like, oh, you've got two years left in your contract. We'll pay you $250,000 to leave. You know what? I'll let somebody injure me for $250,000 a year. I, uh, I will let somebody injure me for... Sort of injure. <laughs> sort, yeah, give me the kind of injury where I can still like make myself dinner and shit like that, but... Yeah, injured me for half a million dollars. Uh, that's kind of crazy. And that's just the minimum downside. So while he's working, he's getting like TV bonus, he's getting house show bonus, he's getting pay-per-view bonus, whatever it is. And this all adds up. So that 250000 minimum can probably, like if he's working at a high enough level, which he wouldn't have been, but let's say he's working at a decent level, it's more like 400000 by the end of the year. So <sighs> not bad for a guy in his late 30s in an athletic field of work, yeah. really. Well, so Especially as much injuries and drugs and whatnot. Exactly, yeah. Like, that's not bad. So that's his, like, final run, essentially. As the years progressed, it appeared Marty Gennetti was finished as a regular contracted talent for big-name leagues, but he's still charging, at this point, like $2,000 per appearance on the independent circuit. So he works, like, 10, 10 days a month. He's getting 20 grand a month. So that's, that's, that's not bad either. And then... Yeah. 
he's keeping a hundred percent of the merchandise he produces. So he's he's got a, he takes a bunch of his rockers t-shirts to the shows. Maybe he sells 10, 15 of those at twenty dollars a pop. That's it's a little bit extra there. Should have so. been a wrestler. Should have been a wrestler. Glad you're not, mate, because you're far <laughs> more balanced. Um, so he's finished in like the big leagues, but he's doing a lot of independent work. He consistently no shows independent dates, unfortunately. Uh, Gennetti is settled into the independent scene until 2005 when he's called back into the then WWE. Gennetti returned to team with old partner, friend, and foe Shawn Michaels in a one off Rockers reunion, defeating La Resistance, who like a French heel tag team. Like, it's very funny. Oh. They've, they've got a poodle. They hop around. It's very <laughs> funny. It's a whole thing. It's really fucking funny. Um, on Monday Night Raw, the following week, Gennetti wrestled again, this time against former Olympic gold medalist Kurt Angle as the Olympic hero was gearing up to his WrestleMania match against Shawn Michaels, which is one of my fucking favorite matches. These two are amazing. On SmackDown that day, uh, 2005, at the age of 44 years old, Gennetti turned back the clock. This match is an excellent contest and part of a brilliant build to the Angle versus Michaels classic at WrestleMania that year. Marty Gennetti was then being used for several weeks in some high-profile moments. He actually held his own in the ring with Kurt Angle, and it, who's probably the second-best in-ring performer of all time behind Shawn Michaels, and the guy who won an Olympic gold medal with a broken neck. Like that's yeah. that's Kurt Angle. That's his whole thing. That's um, he was a fucking... He, draw, he could change, like, levels. I've never seen anything like it. The guy would go from, like, pure standing to being, like on all fours, face down on the mat, like within half a second. I've never seen anything like it. And and then just like, he could pick legs, pick ankles, just like run up, grab your ankle, and then you're done. I've never seen speed like it. It is frightening when you see people like that who are freaks of nature. They really are. Yeah. Um, sharing the ring with Michaels in a feud against the Spirit, Spirit Squad, Vince McMahon, and even attempting to break Chris Masters' master lock. Chris Masters was a giant, muscly guy. I've met him a okay. few times. Lovely guy. Um, uh, an odd turn of events. Um, Gennetti randomly vanishes from television. The feud with Michaels carried on, but with Triple H alongside Michaels instead of Marty Gennetti. And WWE.com reported that the company had severed all professional ties with Gennetti with no further explanation. None of this, like, we wish him best in his future endeavors, which they normally do when they release people. They're just like, we have severed ties with this man. Yeah, that seems like maybe he did something. It sounds like, yeah, and nobody knows where it is. Really uh -oh. weird. Like, this is wrestling. Everything gets out in wrestling, even stuff between Macho Man and a certain member of the McMahon family when she was probably not in a situation to be in that situation. But, um, yeah, dark. But nobody knows what went on with Marty Jannetty and why he was released. Um, press the self-destruct button again, we can basically assume. But at this point, it's his sixth firing? Fifth? Sixth? Something like that. You've been fired um, more time. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> Were you going to say Trump? Uh, gonna... Yeah. 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 Um <laughs> a while later Jim Ross reported on his blog that Marty Gennetti had some further legal issues meaning he could not travel. After another one-off on Raw in 2009, Gennetti was gone for the final time. Marty Gennetti um has worked occasional independent dates in more recent years and has been a guest at signings and conventions. It, the interesting thing about these guys cuz in the past like when people quit wrestling, when they stopped wrestling in their mid to late 40s, when they were really broken down, they were like fucked for money. Like they couldn't earn money. But now 
on the independent like conventions circuit like they can show up to a wrestling event as like a special guest and they can make like five hundred dollars a night from signing autographs for like a couple of hundred people like it's good money then they go to conventions they can sell their merch they can like just do a little speech they can make like thousands of dollars so these guys know also wwf has this thing where they offer people what they call legends contracts which is a downside guarantee of 50 grand a year so they get 50 oh. grand a year no matter what so that's your pension right then you're allowed to carry on doing these independent circuits and signing autographs and stuff you can make like 100 grand damn until the day you die you know so well when they severed all times ties though he doesn't get that no no he does not he is eligible however for uh, induction into the WWF's wellness policy, which covers rehabilitation costs, which they do for all of their previous and current contracted talent, no matter who they are. They pay for your stay in rehab, and um, I think the record was Scott Hall who went to rehab on WWE's dime like eight times or something. Jeez. So yeah, there's a lot of times. But yeah, Ginetti is gone at this point. He's working occasional independent dates, but he's fine. Like even in his coked up adult stupidity, he's he still gets residual checks from Rockers merch. So they're still selling Rockers t-shirts to this day on the WWE shop thing, and he's still getting res- residual checks of like a few thousand dollars a year. See, you know? that's the way to be right there. Yeah, it's the residuals that keep you going, man. Um, he, however, he may be more noticeable in recent times for some very odd interactions on Facebook. He's turned Facebook into his little parlor of insanity. Oh, dear. Yeah. In one, he went on to um, talk about his adult daughter and a DNA test showing that they are not actually related and asked if it was okay to have sex with her as he was physically attracted to her, but they weren't biologically related, so it's fine. She's only 30 years younger than him, and he raised her from a baby. There's nothing wrong with that. That's weird. I know. And then he was like, lol. Uh, Ginetti himself (laughs) stated publicly that his account was hacked, and it wasn't him making the comments, but the person who hacked his account had a copy of this DNA results and like pictures of his daughter and stuff. Don't buy it, Marty. Hmm. Sorry. Fucking somebody weirdo. got drunk and did something dumb. Yeah, they and did. And then tried like a, to get out of it. Yeah, and like a really elaborate work. I a part of me thinks he did it for attention, but like there are a, and like we're in a world where fucking people do stupid shit for attention. Like people are saying that Kanye West's anti-Semitic remarks are done for attention, but like it's cost him like a hundred million dollars at this point. So I don't think so. But with Ginetti, I think yeah, I think he got high or drunk did some shit and then he's like what the fuck was i thinking i just i opened my brain to the internet and now i'm this guy so Uh, yeah not good and it gets worse ginetti um shocked his facebook followers once again when he admitted to making a man disappear while threatening his former girlfriend in a since deleted post on august the 5th 2020 he's in lockdown he's really struggling um he's also alleged the man was trying to rape him at the time I feel like at this point, Marty Gennetti has gone old man crazy. Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like you don't disappear somebody when it's like a self-defense situation. You disappear somebody when you... When you've been hired to by the mafia or something. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like that's... and, And why would you say that? Why would you go on Facebook and say something like that when you're a high profile? This guy has tens of thousands of followers who are like, hey, I remember Marty and the Rockers. Yay. Wait, he's killed a man. Holy shit. Yeah. Um, you know, this is alcoholy. 
Yeah, it does. Anyway, the Columbia Police Department in Georgia were less convinced that it was alcohol and uh, reacted quickly and opened an investigation straight away. Giannetti later clarified that he didn't kill the man, but he did hit him in the head with a brick. <laughs> what, what's his didn't kill him and hitting a man in the head with a brick <laughs> so um uh, sorry sorry after an attempted assault and sexual assault he said made him disappear uh, he repeated it again like what the fuck does that mean marcy other than i fucking killed a man maybe he's um, got a harry potter invisibility cloak yeah that's what it is that's all it is like i gave him a, a, a trip a ticket a plane <laughs> ticket somewhere nice the following month Janetti said that his comments were part of a wrestling storyline mm. which he had to drop because of the police investigation fuck off mate oh. um marty's Gen marty Janetti's career can be summarized in several ways he provided great entertainment for the audience in a tag team as his rockers days showed uh, when he was in the mood, when it took him, and with the right opponent, Marty Gennetti was brilliant at his job. He was an artist. He could manipulate people's emotions and make them believe and, and bring them to highs and lows and ebb and flow of the psychology of wrestling, which is a really difficult thing to master. He was brilliant at it, even in one-on-one -on -one matches. However, his party lifestyle, he could not believe behind, uh, you know, could not leave behind, uh, coupled with a, a penchant for a party lifestyle and bad mistakes, seemed to basically scupper his entire career. Um, a career with several highs, but possibly also a, glor a career of unfulfilled potential, really. Um, I feel like, and this is just a final closing thought, I feel like he's a bit like the Paul Gascoigne of wrestling, only he didn't reach the heights of Paul Gascoigne. He didn't have the talent of Paul Gascoigne, but he partied as hard as Paul Gascoigne, just like this guy who had potential and who never really reached it because he just couldn't stop pressing that self-destruct button. And unlike every other time we've covered a story like this, there is no attributed trauma in his past. Nothing. Okay. Far as we can tell, he had a great childhood. Hmm. So just like the, the blow, you know. So what uh... do you make of Marty Gennetti wrestling's insane party animal? Well, I mean, he didn't end up that we know of naked and covered in baby oil and cocaine chasing hookers around a hotel but he did fight Shawn michaels in a hotel so he that did counts. fight Shawn michaels in a hotel yeah and also there's still time so. <laughs> <laughs> he's, yeah he's well, not got to the hookers yet because he's still obsessed with his daughter so oh uh, my know. goodness yeah I that's know. the weirdest thing and i i swear like it to me it feels like alcohol may be involved and he oh, gets yeah. drunk and he thinks something's going to be funny or he, yeah. I don't know. You do really dumb stuff when you drink heavily. Yeah. And I feel like you, everyone knows that person who like maybe doesn't have the best judgment in like humor or social situations and stuff everyone knows that person that's like a little bit awkward and says and does something. I remember when I was back in my first university days, there was uh, the head of the art department was a woman who was like very artistic, very, but like quite flighty and a little bit odd. And she showed up with a, in a place where a bunch of students were drinking. And for some reason, her and a couple of the other lecturers showed up and started drinking as well. And it kind of got a bit weird because we're like 18, 19 at this point, And she's like in her forties and she's showing up drunk. And she just like out of the blue after like three or four pints, she just said, why do they call it a blowjob when you suck? <laughs> and like, 
uh, a part of my mind went, I have to get the fuck out of here. This person is dangerous because yeah. they don't understand the boundaries. And I feel like that's Marty Gennetti. Yeah. You know? and, and that's, yeah, I think that goes along with substance abuse and probably some yeah. head injuries. And Oh, yeah. I I don't know. I I can relate because I've done dumb stuff. Uh, not to that extent. No. Uh, I don't think many but, people can say that. Uh, I mean, it sucks. And, and he gets... Mm. The, I think the thing that's going to get him the highest score from me is that he really did have a potential to yeah. have a great career and mm. be better than he was. But yeah. he, he, he got his own way. And getting in your own way six, eight, ten, twelve times, whatever it, it ended Crazy. up being, at least six, yeah. four, five with WWEF. Yeah, like six or something. And, and it's funny because there's a quote from... Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase said about um, Vince McMahon, he said, you can say what you want about Vince McMahon, the man, the character, the person he is, whatever. He loves giving people second chances. And in Gennetti's case, it was six. Yeah. <laughs> so, fuck me. Is it now, no death involved. Uh, well, he, he disappeared a man. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, it was a wrestling angle. That's what that was. Okay, right. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> that's just dumb. Like, that's I so know, stupid. That, that's like a bad lie. Got caught on it, and then is just worse at coming up with a backstory out of it. I know. Instead of admitting it, he's just I'm going to tell a worse, dumber lie. I know. It's weird as well because like I, I get like some, and and this is another man thing. Men sometimes try and act tough, try and say big tough things. But like, if you ever see a picture of Marty Jannetty, and I can't pull one up now because I didn't get one ready, um, he looks like Eddie Van Halen. Basically, same hair, like smiley, happy. Like, there's nothing intimidating about Marty Gennetti at all. It's so weird. Yeah, even though he well, is tough, you know. So, I, I have respect for the the rockers' days and yeah. and everything that he did, and that was fun to learn about. But yeah. um, just because he self destructed and blew up his own career, I'm gonna I'm gonna give him a seventy two. Thank you. Yeah, I feel that's fair because, like you say, nobody's died. He's still alive, um, amazingly. And um, yeah, he's like, his his screw-ups only ever seem to really, except for the guy he broke the neck off, but that was like most... That's kind of on him. Yeah, that, I feel like the guy who only had six weeks of training should not have been getting in a ring at that point. Like, that's dangerous shit, really. Right. Um, and yeah, okay, the guy got a payout. He's fine. Like, he's taken care of for life. He's had millions of dollars, so his, his you know, medical issues will be taken care of but i feel like marty Gennetti's generally his screw-ups only ever seem to damage him they don't affect people around him so much that seems no, like, true yeah he totally just blows himself up and there's yeah. not a lot of collateral damage around it yeah i mean obviously being married to the guy would suck because <laughs> you don't know which month he's going to come home and go i've been fired again yeah um, but like other than that like there's nothing I haven't found anything in my research that suggests like he's like violent to his loved ones or anything like that. I mean, he's kind of attracted to one of them, but anyway, um, yeah, I feel like that other than like the drug addiction and you could call it an addiction at this point and like the terrible decision making, he really does seem to only ever damage his own existence. So you can't really score him too highly for that, but it is a situation. And I feel like the lesson here is when you have, a 
a, a platform and you are given recognition for your abilities and you're given popularity and a lot of money you know it's not even a case of he flew so high and then burned out and all of that like he was a mid-level guy who was doing quite well but it couldn't even maintain that like he kept fucking up so like you need someone around you to stop you from doing that and marty Jannetty just didn't have that so yeah don't yeah. hang around with people that cheer on your bad decisions yeah find yourself an accountability buddy you know <laughs> someone who's like bring you back down to earth go oh i don't know that looks a lot like cocaine marty you know maybe we shouldn't do it this one time you know maybe don't go and punch that security officer you've got cocaine in your pocket marty why are you running away from the police you still got the cocaine in your pocket marty um it's like he needed someone there to be like marty just calm the fuck down mate honest to god you're not a kid anymore so yeah and i feel like that's part of it is he's still 18 in his head so yeah yeah but yeah that that was i found that really interesting to research and i i i'm really glad we got to touch on guar because it's one of those things that i feel like maybe generations below ours won't really have a huge amount of awareness of because they're so fucking cool you know? Yeah, and I, I'm not going to lie to everybody. I wanted to go into further depth, but I closed mm. the uh, thing that I was reading off of. <laughs> That's fine. I, I got plenty of it. The same. I panicked and couldn't find it again. That's it. That's it. <laughs> so, I got, I, yeah, we we covered like the major shit, you know, like the 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 trials and the obscenity stuff. But yeah, I I loved hearing about Guar. It takes me back to like the early to mid nineties and shit like that. That stuff was such a cool time to be yeah. a of MTV. Like you could plonk yourself in front of the TV and watch MTV for hours and get lost in that world. It was great. I uh, wish, wish it, it still was around. Oh God. The, imagine just give it a 24 hour revival MTV, just 24 hours, solid, like straight up good, interesting music videos. Yeah. Anyway, no teen mom. Yeah. None of that fucking cribs shit. Jesus, that was awful. <laughs> Just random people like someone called Mims is showing me around his house. Like, Who the fuck are you? I don't care about your house. Give me Beavers and Butthead again. At least they talk about music. Anyway, away from our rants as old men that we miss MTV. That um, I really enjoyed researching Marty Jannetty. I've been wanting to cover him for a while because he's so fucking stupid. Um, the, and, and then like I, I kind of wanted him to be one of the first guys. And... Um, uh, that was mostly because the stuff on Facebook was kind of at the back of my mind because it had happened at that time and the whole threatening to kill people, just kind of crazy. Anyway, yeah, um, yeah I've had a really good time. Uh, you've got uh, kind of a, a whole traveling schedule coming up soon. Oh, it's it's busy. Starting tomorrow, he's got a combine at the community college in front of some coaches. Nice. And then he's got games all week and uh, Wednesday we head to Vegas and Nice. You've got a hell of a week ahead of you, man. I'm kind of envious, to be honest. This is the first time I've left Mesa in like three years. <sighs> I mean, not like I, I went to Scottsdale in those places. Like yeah. I haven't gone out of town. Yeah, yeah. Like a different like temperate climate sort of thing. Like a different state of yeah. like, oh, Just I'm a different state. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like I get that. I haven't been And I'm going to get to see the low Lake Powell. Like maybe I'll see oh, a nice. body in a barrel or something. <laughs> Yeah, the guy that Marty Janetti disappeared is somewhere in that <laughs> barrel. Um, yeah, so uh, Derek, you're going to have a wonderful two weeks. I've got a bunch of shit um, on the horizon as well. 
loads of recording to do and yeah we will see you all in a couple of well actually when by the time you hear this yeah a couple of weeks after this um thank you all so much if you want to follow us on our social media go to uh, history's greatest idiots on instagram and at greatest idiots on twitter if you want to be our first ever patreon go to patreon.com slash history's greatest idiots and um yeah we're coming towards the end of season two we've got some slight interesting plans in the works for season three which we will... and really interesting plans in the works for season three if i win the billion dollars tonight you win that 1.6 billion can we just have this 0.6 billion for the podcast can we just like just like batter joe rogan into the ground <laughs> Yeah, you know what? I think I can swing something. Yeah. <laughs> this is, this I'll like, negotiate we, with whoever wins. Yeah, exactly. Excellent. Um, so until then, thank you so much, everyone, for, for tuning in. Uh, Derek, would you like to say goodbye, please? Bye, everybody. Goodbye, and we will see you again in a couple of weeks. Take care, everybody. Bye now. <laughs>